amazing truth that is. This is an amazing, awesome weekend of celebration. And it's a number of reasons. Actually, for me, um, one year ago today, I was stepping off an airplane uh, from Ethiopia with a little boy in my hand. So that's a fun thing to be able to celebrate. Five years ago yesterday, our church began. Um, which is a huge thing because 80% of churches that start do not make it past the five-year mark. So we have officially made it. And so if we even close down tomorrow, we're better than the, the statistics. So, no. But pretty excited about that. We actually started on an Easter Sunday. And that's the reason why we gather here today. We gather together to be able to celebrate what God has done in us and through us and through his son for us. And as I look at it, I think, you know, there's a question that comes to my mind. And you'll see it on the front of your empty bulletins as well as the ones that aren't empty. Why Easter? What's so big about Easter? What's the big deal about getting together? Type it into Google. Why Easter? And when you'll do it, you'll get thousands, if not Hundreds of thousands of answers on why Easter. Why Easter from the Christian perspective? Why Easter from the atheist perspective? Why Easter from the the Christians who don't celebrate Easter's perspective? As crazy as that is to think about. And you look at each one of those things, and there's so many different questions. My son came to me this week and said, Dad, why did they say in the Bible that Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights, but yet Good Friday is when we celebrate when he went into the grave and he rose on Sunday, and that's only two days. And I said, yeah, that's the best answer I had for him on that one. I I said, uh, tradition caught it. There's things about the Sabbath that were different because the feasts had their own. And I tried to explain it to him, and he was like, I like the answer better. And, uh, you know, there's questions like that. There's questions on, okay, well, if this is a day that we celebrate, why does it bounce from week to week to all throughout every year? Uh, Why is it sometimes in March and sometimes in April? And, you know, like I said, there's so many questions that come up, but there's only one I really want to focus on today. The one that I want to focus on today is what is so special about this weekend? Why is this the weekend that, that Grandma made you go to church with her? And sit there and make you all dress up real nice and sit in the line with her. Why is this the weekend that, that so many people who've been away from church will, will join you on this weekend? What makes this weekend so special? It's funny, I was reading a thing this week on things not to say to open your sermon. And one of them was, um, hey, so good to see you. I haven't seen you since Christmas Eve. So don't say that. That was one of the things to actually say. But, but, but what makes it this that weekend? That people would come back since Christmas Eve. What is it that's so special about Easter? Why Easter? And as you look at it and you think about it, there's so many different ways to, to approach it. And I think in, in the last 20 months or so, my perspective on why Easter has changed. And not, not the reason for it, but, but the, the grand reason for it. See, 20 months ago, um, on July 17, 2013, it was a Wednesday. We got a phone call. And when we got that phone call, the phone call was from Christy, my wife's sister. And she said, hey, there's a little boy in Ethiopia who is in need of a family. He has Down syndrome, and uh, we know that that's something you guys wanted to do. <laughs> and like I said, a year ago today, we were stepping off the plane with him in our arms. And to see that process take place and see it all unfold in, in that, that way, it, it is something that was just an amazing journey to be a part of. And honestly, if you would have gone back two years ago, I would have said, that's not happening. 
That's not, that's not the way we're supposed to do it. And again, we're in the process again right now for two little, uh, two little well, I say two little guys, a, a little boy, a little girl from China. And, and we'll be bringing them home hopefully around the Thanksgiving time or, or Christmas time, somewhere in that area. And, and we're really excited about it. But, but to see that process take place gives me a whole new appreciation for Easter. See, I don't want today, I don't want my, my story to be what, what is the, the, the center point but I do want to show the parallels between God's story of adopting us and the process that, that we had to go through because his story is the Easter story. So much of it is here today. I want you to see in a fresh new way because Easter become, can become so routine. It can become just one of the things that we do. It's, it's part of the regular schedule. We pack in, we do our thing, we go eat, we hear a message from either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John about the resurrection, we see the videos, all the cool stuff, and then we're off. But I want it to be fresh, and I want it to be new, and I want you to experience who God is and what he really, truly has done for you. Because I gave you the beginning part of that story on July 17th, getting the phone call, and then on April 5th, getting off the plane, but so much happened in between there. So much happened leading up to us getting off a plane in Ethiopia walking to our house, dropping off all of our gear, getting in a car, going over to what's called the transition house to meet our son for the first time. And Christy picks him up out of the crib and holds him for the first time. And it's also the last time he'll ever have to go back into that crib again. And two days later, we go and we stand before a judge. And while we stand before that judge, the judge declares that his status has changed. He's gone from a nobody to a part of our family. He's gone from not being wanted to being loved more than anything. And his status has changed. And I want you to see as we talk about that and that moment, a parallels between what God has done in our lives and changing our status and, and the parallels of the, every adoption story you probably have ever heard about the process that takes place. And I say that because God, in his infinite love, he desired to adopt you, and he desired to adopt me and bring all sorts of changes to our lives. And in that change, he wanted to, to bring us into his family. He wanted to see our status change. He wanted to see our future change. And that's why he did what he did, and that's the reason why we celebrate Easter. That is the story of Easter is the adoption story, us being adopted. He sent his son to live a life, to die a death, and to defeat that death for us so that we could be adopted into his family. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Well, you know, most of the time you go into church on Easter Sunday, and when you're there, you'll hear um, something from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you'll see the end, and you'll see the, the people running to the tomb, and the tomb is empty, and, and all that is, is amazing. But like I said, I want you to see it in a fresh way today. So I want to look at what Paul has actually told the Galatian church today about why all of that happened, how that life change happened for each and every one of us. So even as we dig into it, even as we really take a close look at this, I want you to see it in a fresh way. So do me a favor, go to the book of Galatians chapter 4. If uh, you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be up here on the screen. If you do have your Bibles and don't know exactly where Galatians is, let me just explain it to you this way. When I was learning my books of the Bible and all that kind of stuff, 
It was George eats pork chops, okay? George is Galatians, eats is Ephesians, Philippians is pork, and Colossians is chops. So if you need to figure out if you're somewhere in the general vicinity, figure George eats pork chops. If you're in the pork chops, you need to go backwards. If you haven't hit it yet, it's towards the back of your Bible. So go ahead and dig that up. Galatians chapter 4, as you're flipping there, as you're trying to find it, let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for what you do. We look into your word and we see your love for us. And today as we celebrate your son defeating death, defeating death so that he could be our atoning sacrifice. Because not just death on the cross was it, but the fact that he defeated that death three days later is the amazing part of that story where we get to be connected with you. And God, as we look at this from, from the perspective of Paul looking back on what you did and how you did it and why you did it, God, I pray you give us a whole fresh look on this. I pray it's not my words or my story, but God, your words and your story that goes out today. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Some of your translations may say slaves under the law or in bondage under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons, as his children. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I want us to look at this passage today and first see that status change. The fact that God has changed our status. We have been stood before a judge and he has declared us new and changed our status from a nobody to a somebody. And that status takes place and this is what he does. And the reason why he does it, back in verse 4, it said that we are born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Slaves under the law. Meaning this, to be a slave under the law means that you know right from wrong. Every single person in this room knows right from wrong. We know what is right. We know what is wrong. We have a moral compass. And knowing right from wrong has put us under the law. Now, knowing right from wrong, we also know that each and every one of us in this room has done wrong. We have not done right at some point in time in our lives. Most of the time, we just think, well, it's just a little thing, a little thing here, a little thing there. But... When it comes to God, he wants perfection. And because he wants perfection, we are missing his mark. And that missing of the mark is called sin. All of us in here have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The book of Romans tells us that. Now, as we look at that, we say, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, we've done our own way instead of doing what God has called us to do. And we have put ourselves on the throne and taken him off of the throne of our lives, saying we know better than you do. Well, that... That created a problem. And that problem was is that we are no longer naturally children of God. We are <laughs> slaves under the law. And being slaves under the law means we are separated from God. We are no longer his children. And breaking that law created some issues. And because of that, we're open to the judgment of God. We're open to the judgment of God. And I know that sounds very preacher, old school, pound the pulpit, hellfire, brimstone. You're, you're subject to the judgment of God. You know, that's the, the feeling that we get when we hear that. And you're like, oh, great. I'm glad I'm here for this Easter. That sounds so wonderful, doesn't it? But in the truth of the matter is, that's where we're at. Now, however, however, because God is infinitely holy, 
infinitely good, infinitely just. He can't have somebody who has sin in their life in his presence. He can't have somebody who is slaves under the law in his presence. And that's why we're under that judgment. That's where that comes from. And there's a problem here. Things don't add up because God is sinless. We have sin. There's no meshing that takes place. And because of that, a question comes up in our mind. At some point in time, whether it be today, whether it be years ago, whether it be years from now, we will ask a question, how can I, a sinner, be made right with a God who is holy? How is that possible? Can I be good enough? How good is good enough? If God wants perfection, how good is good enough? Unfortunately, the answer is there is no good enough. There is no good enough, and it's a question we're going to continue to ask ourselves. How can I, a sinner, be made right with a God who is holy? There's a problem that separates us from God. And this problem separates us so far, it's a chasm that we cannot build a bridge to cross on our own. So it had to be taken care of by God. See, going through um, the adoption process, you realize there's lots of legal issues you have to take place. Lots of things you have to, to work through. Lots of things that you have to make sure that they get taken care of. There's fees to be paid. There's paperwork to be taken care of. There's all of this stuff. There's all these legal things you have to do. And if you don't do it, there's going to be legal problems. Well, as we look back at this, if we are breaking God's law, we have a legal problem. And God says, you know what? We're going to work through all those legal issues through my son, Jesus Christ. Because in order for an adoption to happen, many different requirements need to be crossed off the checklist. So imagine a giant checklist, and we have one. A giant checklist to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Well, God has that same thing for our adoption. And in order for the adoption to take place, the first thing you have to realize is it has to come at the right time. Someone has to come at the right time. In each country, including here in the U.S., Every child that is to be put up for adoption has to fall into some sort of category to make them an orphan. And that category can be all different sorts of things, and all different countries have different things. It could be the fact that both of your parents have passed away or you're in an orphanage. It's just that simple. It could be that your parents couldn't take care of you and they gave up their rights. It could be that they've done that and you've been put into the orphanage, but you have to be in the orphanage for a certain amount of time that nobody visits you to be considered an orphan. There's all these different ways that they have it listed out there. But in it all, there's rules that are in place on how it comes about. And there has to be somebody that comes at the right time, a timing issue. Now, for me personally, I think all those rules are really (coughs) dumb. I see kids who are in need of a loving family, and I see loving families who are in need of a kid. And I think we should just match them together and make it happen. That should be the way it goes. But unfortunately, I don't get to make the rules So we have to follow the other rules. Well, in the same thing, there's a timing issue that Galatians talks about. As a matter of fact, go back to Galatians 4. 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come. Some versions say, just in the right time. So we look at that and we say, okay, what does that mean? Who came at the right time? What was it? What was the right time? Well, the right time was this. Paul was explaining to the Galatians that for the first two-thirds of the Bible, the Old Testament, all the history that is talked about in there is basically boiled down to the fact that man was trying really, really hard to get himself in right with God. 
He was trying to do everything he could, but no matter how good he was, no matter how religious he was, no matter how spiritual he was, no matter how many good things he tried to do to get there, no bridge could be built between them and God, not on their own. And so when God sent his son, that was the right time. It was the right time for it to take place. And we see that not only the right time has to be, but the second thing is you have to have the right qualifications, the right requirements to make this take place. And so as we see this, you have to possess those right right requirements. It's so amazing to me to see how difficult just to have the right time comes together is, but then to have the right qualifications. See, from day one in the adoption process, you are doing your job as an adoptive parent to be the most perfect family on the planet. That is, you're, you're trying to convince at least one government, if not two governments, that you are the ideal parents for that kid that you, you're going to be given. That child you're going to be adopting. You're the most perfect ones, and it starts off with a thing called a home study. Now, a home study is a very interesting thing. They basically take from the time you were born to this minute right here and dissect everything. Everything in between it. They dissect your parents, your grandparents, your grandparents' dogs. It doesn't matter. It was everything. They ask you so many questions because they want to make sure you are the ideal right person to bring this child into your home and into your home life. And they, they take it all apart, all of it. And that's just the first step. The second step is this idea of all the things that you have to get together and get all the paperwork and all of these things and all the questions together to move in just to do the physicals. I'm not sure about the rest of you, but physicals aren't fun. They're not something that I really enjoy going to get. You know, from head to toe, you're getting checked all out. Everything, making sure you're all clear. As a matter of fact, we went into to take the, the physical. I, I've been blessed by God to not have to wear anything that corrects my vision. And so time for the vision test, I thought, no problem, I can pass this, no big deal. So I cover up the left eye, and I'm reading with the right eye, I get all the lines right, okay. Now do the, do the left eye and switch, and I switched, and I realized I had pressed too hard with my hand, and everything was blurry, and I thought I was going to fail. That was my, I was like, I'm going to fail it, we're not going to get these kids, because I, I pushed too hard on my eyeball, you know. And that was, a, that, was a, that was a worry that you have, because you want, once again, to be perfect. As a matter of fact, in the, the adoption for China, they, they make you have all of these requirements together, and, and really, they, they expect some pretty high stuff. Um, just a couple of years ago, when we first started kind of looking into the adoption process, they said you couldn't have cancer at all in your history if you wanted to adopt. You have to be a certain age, and thankfully, they, they've changed that requirement uh, as of late. But another thing is we had a garage sale last weekend. And this lady uh, came up to us, and she was a, a little bit heavy set. And, and while she was talking, she said, yeah, you know, I adopted from China. But I had to get a waiver because they said I was too fat. And I'm like, really? What a, what a crazy requirement to have a weight requirement in it all. And so you see these things, and they, they want all of this. They also have these really high financial requirements they want. They told us, they said, hey, if you want to adopt, you need to make at least $40,000 per person in your family. We have six people in our family. This is what I do. Guess what? We didn't meet the requirement. Only about a couple of dollars, though. You know, you get so generous, you know. But, no, I mean, when you, when you, when you look at 
those kind of things, you say, these requirements are, are impossible to make, impossible to get to. But thankfully, there was a waiver in place for that too, and they, and they waived that for us. It's amazing what's out there. But to be adopted into God's family, we had to have somebody who had all the right qualifications as well. And the thing is, there was no waivers that were there. And the Galatians 4 actually talks about those, those different ones. And you see it here. The first thing is, is in order to fill that gap, that huge chasm that's between us and God that we can't do on our own, there has to be somebody that is like God as well as like us. Galatians chapter 4 actually says that in verse 4. God sent forth his son, so Jesus came from God, born of a woman, so Jesus is also like us. While being like us, he must also be completely and perfectly obedient to the law. Now, my question is for you, is any of us in here completely or or perfectly obedient to the law? No, we're not, but Jesus was. And then it goes on from there to say you have to understand what it means to be a human. Now, when I look at those, I can say, you know, I can fulfill two of them. I've been born of a woman, and I've also uh, figured out what it's like to be a human. The other two, I fall miserably short on. I fall miserably short on. So throughout all of history, I think, who is the one? Is there anybody that can meet those qualifications? And it's just in one, one person, in the person of Jesus Christ, God who put on flesh, who meets those qualifications. So we have that, that he had never sinned, so he could take the place for us who have already messed up, that he could do those kind of things. So Jesus came at the right time. Not only did he come at the right time, he possessed the right qualifications. And the third thing for an adoption in adopting someone is this. You have to come with the right intention. You have to come with the right intention or the right determination. See, adoption doesn't happen by accident. We did not last year decide, you know what we're going to do? Let's load up on a plane. Let's go to Ethiopia. I'm going to bring a big duffel bag. And what we're going to do is when we get off the plane, we're just going to go pick out the cutest kid that we can find which we did, by the way. But um, the, uh, we didn't say, hey, there he is right there. Go ahead and put him in the duffel bag. Let's go home. It wasn't just an accidental thing that we did. There was planning that took place. There was determination that took place. There's intentionality that took place because you have to understand the commitment to it all. And once again, flipping back to Galatians chapter 4, you have to understand three different times, three different times God says that he sent his son for us. Three different times. And he had a purpose to do it. And what was his one purpose? Well, it talks about it here in verse 5. I'll read verse 4 for you first. It says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters, as children of God. Why Easter? That explains it. That answers it. The why Easter is found right here in the adoption story because Jesus came. He lived with us. He died for us. He raised, again, he he, he was out of the grave. He is risen. The empty bulletin, whatever you want to do. When you take your notes home and it's empty, you can say, hey, there it is. That's the whole point right there. That is the adoption story, the fact that he rose again so that we could be adopted into his family. That's why he came. That's why he died. He said, you know what? I'm willing to go through all of this because I want you to be a part of my family. All of the ups, all of the downs, all of the lefts, all of the rights. He wanted us to be a part of his family. You know, I'll never forget the day that we, we got the call from Chrissy's sister telling us there was this little boy who wanted to be adopted, or not who wanted to be adopted, who the agency wanted to, to adopt out. 
and it started out this way in his life. His, his mother was taken advantage of in a, in, while she was working at a Lord's house. She became pregnant. When she became pregnant, she was uh, fired from her job, and she literally had Indali in the streets, in the streets of Ethiopia. And when when she did that, she realized she couldn't take care of him. She took him to an orphanage, and this orphanage had found a family for them waiting for her and, and waiting for him in Spain. And they said they were going to, to take him on, and then they found out that he had Down syndrome. And they said, we don't want him. We don't want him. So when they did that, they passed him over to the agency that we worked with, and in that, there's, a, there's always a waiting list in an agency. And in that waiting list, there's all these families, and they said, well, yeah, we're waiting for a little boy. And they said, here's a little boy. He has Down syndrome. We don't want him. We don't want him. We don't want him all the way down the list. We don't want him. He was rejected. He was abandoned. We don't want him. We got the call. We were actually told that if we didn't step up and do something, that he would go to an institution. And in that institution, he would spend the rest of his days. Now, I'm not sure if you want to or not, but you can go home and Google third world institutions for kids with special needs and see what the conditions are like in there. See what it really feels like. See what they live in. There's 16-year-olds that still live in baby cribs. That's what it's like there. And they told us that, and we said, you know, how can we not? And Christy was all over it right off the beginning. And I said, I've got to pray about this because there's a lot of things that are going to change if this happens in our lives. And a lot of selfish things I had to put aside. And in it, I said, you know, we can't abandon them too. We can't do it. We have the opportunity here. And, and I don't say that to say, look at us. I say, look at God putting us at the right time and making sure that we have the right qualifications and, and the right determination to make it happen. And that God did that to glorify himself, just to give me a small picture of what this huge picture of the adoption story really is. That he adopted me, that he saw me as abandoned, as broken, as left, as unwanted. Slave under the law, slave to my sin, is that I want him and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get him. That's a pretty big thing. That's a pretty massive thing that sometimes we forget to wrap our head around when Easter becomes routine. When we say, hey, we're celebrating Easter and we're going to go have some bunny stuff. Not in the pot, hopefully, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to go home, we're going to eat, and we're just going to enjoy that. And that's what Easter is because Easter is so much bigger than that. It's the fact that God called us out and wanted us as his son and his daughters. Can you just fathom that for a second, that the creator of the universe would stop and say, I will send the right one at the right time with the right qualifications for you and for me. That's a massive thing to think about. And we could stop right there and say, happy Easter, everybody. We're adopted by the king. But you know, that's not the actual end of the story. That is just the beginning of the story. Because when our status changes, something even bigger happens. Our family changes. Our father changes. Everything about it changed. See, when we stood before that judge and they declared that Indala could be ours, that was awesome, that his status changed from being unwanted to wanted. But even more so, he became a part of our family. He became a part of our family from day one that we had seen his picture and we had prayed over him and we had said, Man, we just love him. He had no idea. He had no idea who we were. He had no idea anything about us. We tried to Skype. Technology in Ethiopia is a little bit further behind than, uh, you know, the U.S. So Skype was kind of a, 
geek, you know, that kind of thing. That was about it. And, and he's also sitting there as a baby staring at a screen going, what is wrong with these people? You know, that's, that's all he could think about. But we had fallen in love with him. And I see the same picture from God. He created us. From the very beginning, he was in love with us. And so many people miss that. So many people don't even realize that they're completely oblivious to it, similar to him, until he came into the life. And we have to understand that while having the status change is great, having the Father's love is greater. And we see the exact same thing in this adoption process. A change in the family. A love of a father. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 for me. Remember, it said, George, eats pork chops. The next book over. It's the eats part. Ephesians number chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, it says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to praise to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. That's our status change. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us like a dad would lavish things upon his kids. That's the family change. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So he did it all in love. He did it all in love, and he planned to love you. He planned. Like I said, adoption doesn't happen by accident. It's planned out. And you know what? That plan isn't easy. It's a lot of work. It's very overwhelming, especially at the beginning when they give you the checklist, and you go, oh, there's no way. There's no way. You hit the financial sheet first, and you go, oh, there's absolutely no way. And then beyond that, it's you have to have this paperwork done. You have to have that paperwork done. You have to have somebody come check out your home, and you have to make sure that your dogs are vaccinated. And, you have to, and that's just a small step. Make sure all your guns are hidden. You know, all these kind of things are all listed on all the stuff. And you're like, there's no way. We just can't do it. It's not going to happen. It has to be planned out. And there's times of stress, and there's times of disappointment, and there's times of amazing joy. I'll never forget when we got the phone call last December from, from um, Ethiopia. And they said, sorry, we're closing down all international adoptions. And then two days later, like, just kidding. You know, th- there was a up and then a down and then a back up again. You know, that was kind of the, what in the world is going on? And there's all of that taking place, but you know the end process and you know what it's going to do so you don't quit. I see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to the Father saying, God, if there's any other way, Take this cup from me. If there's any other way, make it happen. But your will be done. I know the purpose. I know the plan. I know why I'm here. I'm here to die for them and raise again so they can be adopted into our family. I understand that. I understand that. And so much so, he understood the cost because here he paid a high price to love you. He paid a high price to love you. See, adoption isn't cheap. It's actually quite costly. It's quite costly financially. After we tallied everything up and looking at all the different things that, that we paid for and that we fundraised for and we got grants for and all the things that laid out, it's like $36,000. And the next two, they're like $55,000. That's not cheap. And that's just the financial part of it all. You know how much stress goes into the emotional and, and the social part of it all? You realize when you bring a kid home, how many people stare at you at Walmart? You know, the, you just get that look, and you're like, hey, yep, he, we're not, you don't think we're, he's my son? I and mean, he doesn't look exactly like me, so he's a little bit darker skinned than I am. Has curly hair, you know. Now, all those, there's things that, that you look at, and you go, wait a second. 
There's costs that are involved. And you know what happened after we got home? He still wanted to eat. And not only still wanted to eat, after he was done eating, he used diapers that still cost money. And things continue to cost, and things continue to cost. So you understand the cost. But you know what? That is nothing in comparison. Nothing in comparison to the price that God paid for you and paid for me. He paid with his only son. Aren't you glad that halfway through he didn't say, you know what? This is going to cost too much. He stopped and said, I want them in my family. I want them in my family. So he paid a high price for us. But not only does he pay a high price for us up front, he pursues us with his love. See, when we got in Dolly home, I didn't go over to the pack and play and put them down and say, well, I'm glad that's done. No, there's a, there's a continual bonding process that takes place. And there's a continual connection. And as a matter of fact, so many books say, don't pass your child around for the first six months because there has to be that connection, that bond between mother and father and son and daughter and however it might be. There's a constant pursuit of love. And there's a lot of kids who don't reciprocate that love right up front because their whole lives have just changed. They've gone from a third world country to the U.S. and they're like, wait a second, you guys are way different looking than I am. And they're trying to figure everything out. And they're trying to wrap all of that together. There's not a point in time you say, you know what? This isn't working. We're sending it back. You know, it's not, a, it's not a chihuahua. It's a little different than that. Sad thing is, is last year, there was a lady who adopted from Russia. And her and her newly adopted son were not connecting, were not bonding. And she tried to send them back. I said, that's not how it works. I, I, you can't even grasp that. It's a constant pursuit of his love. Jesus will not stop loving you. God will not stop loving you. No matter how far you think you are from him, no matter how bad you think you have it, no matter how bad you think you've been, he is still pursuing you with his love. He wants you to be a part of his family. He has changed your status. He has changed your family. Thank you, sir. And finally, he's changed your future. He's changed your future. You see, Romans 8, chapter 15 through, or, uh, chapter 8, verses 15 through 17 says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. Do you understand what that means? What it means to be an heir of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him? You know, one of the great things about walking in the door of my house is being greeted by my family, and Dolly included. And Dolly doesn't say a whole lot of words, but in the words he does, he likes to sign, he likes to talk, and then when I walk in the door, I get this, Dad! Dad! Because that's Dad in sign language, and he yells it out because he knows who I am, and he's excited, and he cries out, Daddy! Just like in this adoption story, we've been adopted as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Dad. Now, he's slightly confusing it all because he also does that to Christy, but that's beside the point. That's beside the point. He understands the relationship that is there. He understands the parent thing. He understands who loves him, who has changed his family, and even more so, he may never understand this, but somebody has changed his future. His future is different. 
He could be a year ago today. Like I said, we stepped off that plane. Who knows where he would have been had we said no. And I'm not saying, once again, that to glorify ourselves or anything like that. But I think, where would he be? Would he be in a crib getting fed some sort of ugh? (laughs) Right now. And that's it. That's all the more attention and love that he would get. And I think about that from God's perspective, once again, being so much greater. He saw me where I was at. And if he had said, you know what? Tough luck. You're staying there. What my future would look like. How bad off my life really would be. Where I would be without Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me. That is why we celebrate Easter. That's why we have it. That's what it's really all about. It's so much bigger than we could possibly imagine that he wanted us to be in his family so that we could have a changed status, a changed family, and most of all, a changed future. Because life without Christ is not good. Eternal life without Christ is a whole lot worse. And that's why he came, so that we could have that eternal relationship with him. Now, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with him. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you cry out, Abba, Father, and say, Daddy, thank you so much for making me and adopting me into your family. Maybe you have, and that's awesome, but maybe you haven't. The great thing is it's an option. The great thing is it's a choice that we get to make. It's been presented to us, and all you have to do is accept it. On Friday after our Good Friday service, I was uh, headed over to Chili's to have our in-home date that Christy and I like to try and have because having four crazy kids, uh, we put them in bed, and that's their babysitters, and we just have our, our date in the living room. And we, we ordered chilies, and I was going to get it, and I was going up right up here up northern. And as I was going up northern, there was a kid right by the Walgreens where the hill kind of goes up pretty steep, and he was literally dragging his mountain bike. Both tires were flat and off the rims and dragging his mountain bike, and he was like 12, 13 years old. So I pulled up next to him, and I said, Hey, need any help? And being a smart 12, 13-year-old, when a creepy guy in a van pulls up next to you to ask if you need any help, he's like, nope, I'm good. And I'm like, are you sure that you're good? I didn't emphasize the fact that I'm a pastor or anything like that, and I promised that I would just put your bike in, take you home, and that would be it. You know, um, but the, the, the answer he gave back, no, I'm good, I'm fine. I said, are you sure that you're okay? You don't need any help. Nope, I'm fine, thank you. And I said, all right. I drove off. I knew he wasn't fine. He knew he wasn't fine. But he felt like he could do it on his own. Guess what? God is offering us freedom. He's offering us a a free ride if you want to. And saying, come on, I'll, I'll take you along. And a lot of times we say, you know what, God, I'm good. He knows we're not good. We know we're not good. But we still reject the offer. So my challenge to you today as we go as we pray, is that if you don't have that relationship with him, if you have not met Jesus as your personal Savior, if you have not been adopted into that family of God, today (laughs) is a great day to make that decision.